Well, Grace, hey, it's an exciting time to be part of our church. I know Zach mentioned this last week, but just kind of want to hit on it again. Um, we opened up <clears throat> back in 2019. We had our first service. Uh, a couple, first couple weeks there was like our soft launch just kind of for the members. And we only had one service, if you remember. And that first week, we knew right away that we'd have to go to two services, which is, you know, again, a good problem to have. We were too full for one service. And so went to two services. We're not sure how long it was going to take before we had to go to three services, build a new auditorium. And um, I just want to say, it's a super cool thing that we are going to three services, just a matter of a few years that we've already outgrown our kids' space. Definitely, I don't know if you have kids back there or not, but on a Sunday, it's insane, okay? I'll go back there and do like, them workers are doing it, man. It's crazy. Uh, and then also at our auditorium, it's getting full. And so I just think that we need to, as a church collectively, praise God, if that's all right, and just thank him for like what he's doing here. Um, three services, super cool to see the life change that's happening. Um, every week we're seeing people get saved, give life to Christ. And uh, man, it's just, a, it's just an awesome thing to be part of. Uh, I want to throw out one more thing. Uh, as you can see, Zach is not speaking this morning, it's me, and uh, him and a team from Fremont, some people, they are headed over to Thailand. Actually, they're probably about there. They left Saturday at 2 a.m. in the morning to be at Cleveland, so that was fun, and uh, I believe they're over there now, though, and so for the next few weeks, it's going to be Mike and I speaking, and uh, yeah, so make sure you guys pray for them. Our team's over there ministering, checking out the orphanages, and uh, just being of help any way they possibly can. All right, so today, we're going to jump right into this thing question for you that I want you to think about. Just a, just a quick question. Just want, I just want you guys to just think about before we get started today is this. Are you living the abundant Christian life? <clears throat> so I just want you to think about it. Are you living the abundant Christian life? Or the, maybe we'll say it like this, the maxed out, the full Christian life. Now, I think, or actually scratch that, I know if, if you're like me, <clears throat> we've got full calendars. We've got a ton of stuff going on in our life. But that's not what I'm talking about. That, that's something actually completely different. What I'm talking about is the abundant Christian life. And so maybe a way that we could rephrase this is, is this. Yeah, are, are you living the abundant Christian life? Or <clears throat> are you living with an abundance of stuff that will never satisfy? You see, I think part of our, our problem as believers, as, as people, is that we get filled up with stuff. And I just want to pause and say this. A lot of this stuff, most of the time, isn't that bad. It's not like a sinful or terrible thing. A lot of times, it's just the busyness of life. Different things going on. right? Are we so filled up with stuff? I mean, we don't even know what the Christian life is. Like, we can't maybe focus on what that is. Now, here's the deal. If you're a Christian, what we're going to talk about today in John 10.10 God called every single one of us to live the abundant Christian, the, the maxed out, full capacity Christian life. And so if Jesus called us to do that, what does that mean? And how can we like, how can we do that then? I mean, if he told us to do it, he wants us to do it. How can we do that? So that's what we're going to kind of look at um, in John chapter 10. Now, there's a lot of things we're going to talk about uh, as leading up to that. But uh, just keep that in the back of your mind as we kind of change gears here. So, all right, so we're going to jump into John 10. And if you don't know this about John 10, um, it, it, it's, it's really the response to John chapter 9. Now, in John 9, if you're here last week, we, we find about the story about this blind dude who got healed. And the religious leaders, they just got ticked off. Now, um, 
they, they, if you guys know, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, these religious, if you want to call them the elitists of the day, they held to their traditions or their oral, their fake law, instead of looking to the Messiah, instead of looking to and trusting in Jesus. So these religious leaders, they get mad at Jesus for healing a blind dude on the Sabbath, which to them was work, and so that meant that they were breaking the law, and so they just want to come after Jesus. And so verse 14 of chapter 9, Jesus heals the guy. And then in verse 15, they go to this guy. Jesus kind of leaves for a little bit. He's going to come back a little bit later. But he leaves. And in verse number 15, they come to the guy, and they're like, hey, um, how, how, this is a good question for you guys. How did you get your sight? Like how you claim to be blind, now you see how did that happen? And so the guy's like, well, it's kind of simple. Um, this Jesus, this Messiah, the Messiah, he came to me and spit in the ground, kind of gross, right? Made some mud, slapped it on my eyes, told me to go wash in this pool. I washed, and, and all I know is now I can see. Like, I just listened to what Jesus said, and now I can see. And so multiple times, you remember Zach talked about this last week in John 9, again and again and again, they keep asking this question. They even go to his parents. But they keep asking this guy this question, and his response is the same every time. He says, well, I've told you three or four times already, but I met Jesus. He put mud in my eyes, told me to go wash. I can see. I was blind, met Jesus, now I can see. Which, just a little side note here. Right, this should be our response when people ask us about how we began our relationship with Jesus or, or why, right? And our, our, our goal is this. It shouldn't be point to us. It's do what this guy did. Hey, man, my life has been changed, and it's been changed because nothing I've done but what Jesus has done, what he's done in my life. So then Jesus, it's interesting. He's not here, but he's, he's getting ready to come in, okay? Um, then the guy, he does something kind of cool here. He turns a question around on them and kind of asked them a question, which was, I would say, sarcasm because he knows they don't want to follow Jesus. But he's like, oh, hold on, hold on. Um, question for you guys. You guys are asking me all these questions. So many questions, the same answer. I keep telling you. Um, do you guys want to be a follower of this Jesus too? I mean, because I'm a follower of Jesus, and I'm sure he's got room for a few more. I, I know it, right? And right about that time, Jesus, he rolls in, and he tells the crowd of people, he says this to the religious Pharisees, right, and the entire crowd. He says this. He says, I came to this world for judgment in order, ready for this, that those who do not see, those who are blind can see. And then he finishes and he says, and those who do see, they will become blind. You see, Jesus replied to these guys. It's, it's pretty simple. If you guys can understand that you are blinded by your stuff, you are blinded by your sin, so much that you cannot see me, right? If you understand that you are blinded by that, man, I came so that you could see. I came to give you life. I came to give you forgiveness. But, man, if you're trusting in yourself and holding this religious rules and holding on to your works, and that's how you're trusting to be saved, then I got news for you. You're going to stay blind. Like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, here's the deal. Before we go on, we have to ask ourselves, I think we have to ask ourselves this question. Spiritually speaking, have to ask yourself, am I blind? Maybe another way that you could ask that to help better understand it, am I blinded by my stuff? Is the 
busyness of my life is, you know, my career, getting that position in my job, meetings, my hobbies, a sport, my kids' sport, a certain relationship. Are they blinding me from seeing Jesus or living the abundant Christian life that he's called me to do? See, Satan, he's so good at blinding us with stuff. against stuff that's not necessarily bad. And again, none of those things are really bad, but when we focus everything in life on them, man, they take the spotlight off of Jesus and put it on ourselves. So the Pharisees, and they ask Jesus a question. <laughs> like, you know, again, these guys think they've, they, they've made it. They think they're like the big shots in the church, right? And so they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, Jesus, this Messiah, whatever, Savior, are you saying, are you telling us that we're blind? Are you saying that I'm blind? Maybe that's something that you're thinking right now. Am I blinded by my stuff? Maybe some of those things above. See, what Jesus does in John 10 is he takes an entire chapter and he answers that question from John chapter 9. Now, if you know anything about John 10, it's the story of Jesus giving this metaphor about how he is this good shepherd to his sheep, which you guys probably know this. I mean, the Bible, you know, Psalms 23 tells us he is our shepherd. He leads us as the waters, all that stuff. And, and, and all throughout the Old Testament, there's different passages, Isaiah 53, 6, as, uh, Psalm 100, Psalm 79. They talk about, they give this idea that he is our shepherd to us, the sheep. And he wants to guide. He wants to lead us. Now, I'm going to be honest with you guys. As I was studying this on uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, I was struggling with, okay, why is it that, like I was missing the connection. Why is Jesus, he's answering their blindness by talking about being not just a shepherd, but a good shepherd. Why is he using this, this metaphor? And I think this is kind of what I came up with. I believe really because Jesus, he, he gives this example because he wants it to impact them deeply. He wants them to stop really pointing at themselves as a savior. That just blinded them. And he wants them to point at him and to let the good shepherd do what a good shepherd does and lead and guide them and simply wants them and he wants every single one of us to follow him. So that's what he does. That's what the good shepherd does. Now, here's the thing. They were trusting in a system of being a good person, essentially holding certain rules and laws as their answer to be saved. But here's the deal. It doesn't answer eternity. That doesn't answer forgiveness. It actually was blinding them. And so that's what we're going to jump into. In John 10, it tells us this. This is what we're going to look at this morning. Jesus says he's our good shepherd. So what makes him good? How is a good shepherd, how is he, the good shepherd, really good? So we'll start verse number one to five. It says this, truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way, he's a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper, he opens it for him, and the sheep, they hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep, they follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. So how is, first, how is the good shepherd good? Well, first we see the good shepherd's good because the good shepherd, he offers security. The good shepherd offers security. So 
is Jesus. He responds to being this shepherd and us being his sheep that follow him. We have to draw ourselves into the text. Now, shepherding was very, very, it was popular back then. Most people knew all the different terms and why he talks about this pen and all these different things, the sheep pen and entering at the gate. They understood it, and honestly, we just don't. So we got to kind of break that down a little bit. The sheep pen here in verse number one to five, it was one that was actually inside of like the city, inside the village, okay? So it was a, it was a pen that was a fold that was inside the city village. It had high walls. It had a big gate on the front. That gate was locked at all times unless sheep were coming in. Uh, there was a gatekeeper that guarded the door. So this was a place that the shepherd, he would bring his flocks, like let's say if he was, you know, out for maybe a month, right, doing work out in the pasture. He'd been in the pasture for a while and needed a break or something at home was happening. He needed to take care of them. So what he would do was he would come to this certain pen that had many other flocks in it. It was big. It was huge. And he would bring them in, and they would follow him as he walked through the gate. Once they were all in, he would let the gatekeeper know what day he would back, what morning he would be back, and he would come back, and he would get them. But he knew this. He knew as he was with his family, hanging out, whatever, they're throwing a party or he's there for a wedding or whatever, regardless, he knew this. If the sheep were inside that pen, he knew that they were safe. He, he had peace of mind knowing, hey, they're taken care of. Like they're, they're good to go for now. Now, I wanna throw this out there. This pen that we're gonna talk about right now, okay, in verse one to five, it's different from the sheep pen that we're gonna talk about in verses seven to 13. And that's key, okay? So just we're gonna come back to that a little bit. It's a different pen. Now, the sheep pen here, it doesn't represent, unlike maybe some of your Sunday school classes have taught you, okay, it doesn't represent heaven, it doesn't represent the church. Okay, what it represents is this, Judaism. In fact, it represents first century Judaism. Now, Judaism, the Old Testament law and the following of the law, it was meant to be a mentor. It was meant to be, some versions of the Bible say, a schoolmaster. Uh, it was, the book of Galatians tells us that that was its purpose, and it was put in place to point people, to lead them to a relationship with Jesus. So the purpose of the law in Judaism was to point them to Jesus. If they stayed in the parameters of the law, ultimately it would point to them knowing who this Messiah would be that would come. See, we no longer need the parameters of the old religious system because we have Jesus now. We have faith in Jesus, which again provides a way that we can have access to God. We have a relationship with him. Now, shepherding, it was done different then and even now in the Middle Eastern culture from our Western culture. For our culture, driving sheep is primarily done with like dogs, like Australian shepherd dogs or whatever they're called. They go from the back of the pack or maybe even horses and they drive them to wherever they want them to go. But in the Middle East back then and again now for many shepherds, it's, it's done differently. A shepherd would actually get in front of the flock and the flock would follow behind. And so these sheep, they knew, hey, wherever the shepherd's going, they trusted him. They knew wherever the shepherd went, that it was good for them. So they would follow behind, and they would listen to his voice. And so when the shepherd, after maybe a few days of relaxation, would come to that inner, or the, uh, the pen that's inside the city, when he would come to that gate, let the gatekeeper know, hey, I'm here to get my sheep, he would call out to them, and only the sheep that were part of his flock, they would come out. They were used to, they knew his voice. The shepherd had a closer personal relationship to his sheep more than, you know, in our Western culture at least, right? And the sheep, I mean, they trusted and they knew his voice and they would respond accordingly. Um, question for you, any, are we have any dog owners in church this morning? Just raise your hand. 
See, I hear chuckles and laughs. I said this last service. The people that chuck and laugh are the weird people with dogs. They're the ones that put sweaters on them and, like, give them the bougie food, right? Like, they get all the stuff. So I know there's a few of them in every church service, okay? Probably more here. But that's cool. That's, that's fine, all right? Now, I want to say this. I'm a, um, I don't really know the right word for it. I'm a, I'm a dog owner, okay? I, I am. I'm a dog owner. Um, we have a dog. His name is, his name is Finn, okay? Um, now, do we got, uh, there we go. I know you guys want to see this today. Which I, Let's just pause. Let's just take a minute. Let's just step outside the message. Don't tell Zach this, okay? We're going to step outside the Bible real quick. We're going to talk about something. This is kind of weird. Like we had this, for a millisecond in time, we had this perfect picture of our family. But we had the dog that's like, he's like the center of the photo. You know, he's like the focal point. Like no one else. And when you guys looked at this, be honest, you didn't look at me, Marissa, or my kids. You looked at the dog, right? I mean, that's, that's what you did, right? He's like at the center of our family. Anyways, all right, so. A millisecond time, again, this is not, by the way, this is not normally how our family is, okay? You should see the thousands and thousands of pictures that it took to get that one picture that's perfect, okay? You guys know what I'm talking about. You've done family pictures before, all right? But anyways, this is our dog, Finn. And now I'm going to say this, okay? Finn, he's, he's an all right dog. I've heard this said before. You guys have heard it said, right? Dog is man's what? Best friend. Well, that's not the case in the Lewis household, okay? In our house, it ain't like that, all right? Um, so here's how it works. You have Marissa. Now, I will say, it was, the dog was Marissa's idea. She had to talk me into it, but we got a dog, right? And so no matter how much attention I show that dog, I think he knows that. And so Marissa's at the top. So, like, let's just, we're going to go and the, just, we'll just rate where we're at here as far as people in my house and uh, who, who Finn likes the most, all right? So we have Marissa. She's, like, she's like way up here, okay? Like, he, like, loves Marissa. And then, unfortunately, right behind her, we have my intern, Jacob. I don't know why. I do not know, I literally don't know why, but he is right behind her, and then you have the kids, and then AJ is down, I mean, I'm down here, like, I'm, I'm down, like, I'm not, I'm not up there, right? He likes me, he likes the kids, loves Jacob probably a little too much, but he really loves Marissa, his master, right? He does, and so uh, we actually, we've, we've got this, like, weird game we'll do sometimes we come home for church, uh, or going out to eat or whatever, uh, we actually just did this last week, uh, we came home. And uh, Finn's crate, it's like back in the back part of the house. And so we, we'll come in, and Marissa, she'll like go hide in a closet or in a room randomly somewhere in the house. I know this is probably kind of weird, but she'll go hide somewhere in the house. And she'll like be like, hey, Finn, we're here, we're home. And so instantly he knows that she's there, right? And so I'll go, and I'll let Finn out of his crate. And he doesn't care about me, right? He literally sprints out that thing. I'll be like, hey, Finn, and try to pet him. You know, he runs by. And he goes, and he will frantically search. He'll go down the basement. He'll search. He'll look upstairs, look in every closet, every room. He will frantically, if you have a stake in your hand, he's not going to pay attention to you. He just wants to find Marissa. And that's how it is. Anytime that she's home, if she's downstairs on the couch watching something, he's right beside her. If she goes outside, he will get up, and he will want to follow her outside, want to go for a walk or whatever. Anywhere that Marissa goes, he is right by her. If he hears her, he's got to be by her. You see, Finn, he follows Marissa's voice. Sheep are much the same way. They follow the shepherd. Finn, he has security in Marissa. A sheep has security in his shepherd. He trusts that where he leads is safe. It's all about proximity. And we can really say the same thing in our relationship with God, right? The closer we are to God, the safer we feel, the more comfortable we feel. Verse 2 says that the shepherd, he enters at the gate. Again, remember this. This is going to be different from the pen that we're going to talk about verse 7 to 13. But he enters at the gate and he calls out the sheep 
which again, there were several flocks there. They would often leave. Again, the, he would call out to them, and they would come, all that were his. The others would stay. Now, at Grace, here's the deal. This should be our desire. It is our desire for every single person to be like that. Our desire is every single person that comes here would simply put, just listen to what the shepherd says, to follow what the shepherd says. Now, God speaks to us, but how do we hear God's voice? Well, primarily through these different ways. Reading God's word, right? Spend time with God every day in our devotions. Listening to God's word, right? Or applying to our life, which can happen through Sunday morning messages or Wednesday night class. It can happen in our men's and women's classes or even life support. Listening to God's word, so read, listen, and then last, study God's word. Don't just read it, but dig into it, man. Study it. See, God... He speaks in a still small voice a lot of times. Maybe we're at work, he speaks to our hearts and our lives, or maybe we're doing our devotions, he speaks to us. Right? God speaks that still small voice, he impresses on our heart. And if it's from God, it will always line up with what God's word says. That's how we know that it's him. So a question that we need to ask ourselves is this. Is he speaking to me? Maybe right now, is he speaking to me? And maybe you're thinking in your mind, like, okay, AJ, I mean, I'm going to be honest. Yeah, I've heard Jesus speak, like, God speaks before my heart, but I've not heard him speak to me lately. Here's the deal. Do you think that he's not speaking, or do you think maybe that your world is too loud? There's too much going on. I mean, you got too many things to go, too many decisions to make, too many people to see, too many meetings, right? Too much time that you spent in your hobbies that, in all honesty, when it comes down to it, and you drown it out, his voice, and you can't hear him because you're so focused on doing this and that. I mean, we've got to have that time that we stop everything. We focus on him. The sheep, they listen to, and they, they know his voice. If you notice, the shepherd, he doesn't drive his sheep out, but again, he leads them, and they follow. Verse 5, it shares the shepherd is their the sheep's security. But he also says that there's another person that tries to get in, and it's a stranger, a thing that tries to get in. Now, I don't have the time to spend on it, but stranger is simply this. Anything that calls out to us that doesn't follow God, anything that pretty much opposes God, and there gonna be, there's going to be some that I'm sure in your life try to, maybe a person or whatever, a lust, a desire, a thing that tries to get us to draw into it and to lure us away from Jesus, and they're thieves and robbers, John 10 tells us. If what they say it contradicts God's words, Paul says to do this. He says to flee, like to run with everything that you've got. Man, run from that. And then after all this, it's kind of interesting, but John 10, 6 says this. Uh, Jesus gave them this figure speech, but they didn't understand what he was telling them. Not about you. I'm not going to ask you guys um, but maybe you felt like this before, like you've read the Bible and you just didn't understand it. Well, good news, okay? That's, that's really good news for this morning. Uh, Jesus tells us here, hey, it's all right. You would be a great disciple, so just hang in there, okay? You got questions, bring them to Zach or myself, whatever, we can talk about it. Uh, one thing is clear, though, from this first part of uh, the sheep and the shepherd. They are, the sheep, they are dependent on a good shepherd. They can't make it on their own. Say they knew and they trusted who their leader, their shepherd was. And the shepherd, he takes full responsibility of a sheep, even when thieves and robbers and strangers try to get in the pen and, and try to mess it up. See, the shepherd proves to us and he shows that we are secure in him. Our shepherd is good because of his security. 
But secondly, the shepherd is good because the good shepherd, he offers shelter. Verse 7 and 9, it says this. Jesus said again, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me, they are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. That's key, okay? One of the big I am statements of John, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. So Jesus goes for verses one to five as a shepherd, and if you remember from the first pen, again, a different pen inside the city, he enters through the gate, brings them in, then after a couple days, he comes in, gets them, okay? So the shepherd enters through the gate, but here it's interesting. Here he goes to now being the gate. He says that I am the gate. Again, this is a different sheep pen or a sheep fold. This sheep pen was one that at night they would come to. It was one at night that they would, they would every single night as they were out in the pasture, they would go to for safety. The walls of it weren't as tall as the walls of the city, but they were tall enough to at least keep the, 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 the threat of something coming in and stealing them, taking them out like a wolf or a mountain lion, whatever. It would stop them from getting in. It was made up of just bramble and sticks and rocks stacked up, some, some dirt. And... Jesus says that, again, that famous statement, I am the door, I am the gate to this flock. He's saying this, Jesus is saying, I'm the sole means by which the sheep, that they may enter the safety of this folder, of this flock. See, this, this pen, it's different from the one in, inside the city, this one that's out in the countryside that they nightly went to. All it had, it did not have a gate. It just had the walls and it had an opening about three or four feet wide. And what the shepherd would do back then, is he would, at night, he would, he would lead his sheep in, they would follow behind him, he would count them, make sure they were all safe, secure, that they were all inside of that pen. And then after that, as he was going to bed, he would lay in that entrance, that exit, that, that opening of the sheep pen. He would lay there all through the night. And so really, that served a couple purposes that are kind of cool to apply to our Christian life. First, it served the purpose of not letting any sheep out of the pen, Right, for a sheep to get out of the pen, they would literally have to go over, around, under, which all those things a shepherd is not going to let happen. There's, there's no way that he is going to let the sheep get out of the pen. I mean, he's going to feel them, go, okay, throw them back in, good to go. So there is no way that once they're part of this flock, he's saying that they can get out. But then also, he laid it that, at that opening, really to not allow anything in. He talks about thieves and robbers and wolves, other, other things that can cause harm. Now, I think it's kind of clear to understand, but why wouldn't he want a thief to come in, right? I mean, there's destruction, all kinds of things that can happen, but it's interesting what Jesus does here. He kind of answers it. Verse number 10, he says this, a thief. So why does a thief come in? This is huge. A thief comes only to do what? He wants to do three things. This is it, okay? He wants to steal. He wants to kill and destroy. But I have come so that they may have life. And then I love this, this verse that we opened up with, and have it to the max, to have it in abundance. You guys see the contrast? I mean, the thief, his purpose is this. You know what he wants to come for? He wants to come and absolutely steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to wipe your life out. But it's interesting. Like, Jesus is the way through life, and, and he wants to give life. But it's interesting what happens here. I mean, we've all heard this before. We've all heard, hey, Jesus loves you. Man, God's got a wonderful plan for your life. Man, God loves you. He, he wants things for your life, all this stuff. Like, we, we, we've heard it. 
We've heard Jesus loves us, and that's, that's awesome, and I totally agree with that, obviously. That's great, but we got to hear the other side. And you know what that is? Satan wants nothing more than to absolutely destroy your life. We have to get that. we got to see the contrast here. God's plan, he wants to save you. He loves you. He's willing to go on a cross and die for you. Satan's plan, he wants to destroy you. He wants you to be dead. He wants your life to be absolutely miserable. He wants your eternity to be miserable. Here's the deal. I mean, how, how does a thief do this? I mean, if we all knew that that was a thief's ultimate goal, I mean, how does he do this? Well, it's pretty simple, right? It's pretty simple. He gets us there by using enticing things. Right, it looks good from the outside, right? Lust, sex outside of marriage, man, it looks good. It feels good. It looks good. It's good. But the end result is the same. It's any time that Satan tempts us, right? He wants to ruin our lives. And maybe greed, right? Spending money, man, it feels good. I want to get the stuff. I want to get it. Until you get the debt. Until it ruins your life and causes, marriage, it causes issues in your marriage, your relationship with other people. You see, that's the goal for the thief. The goal for the thief is that your, not just life, but your eternity is destroyed. It's not necessarily that we give into the sin. It's this. It's that he destroys your life. I mean, that's his goal. But the contrast to that, I mean, Jesus came to give life. He came to give it that you would have it in abundance. So a question we've got to ask yourself is this. And what does it mean? What, what does the abundant Christian life mean, the maxed out full life mean? See, I think a lot of times our issue is this. Is in our American culture, we go to, we go to, well, that means if I have the abundant Christian life, that means I have everything I want, right? I've got the car, the expensive car, or multiple cars. I've got, the, I've got the super fancy home with all the stuff. It means I've essentially, I've got, anytime I want to take a fancy vacation, man, I've got the means to do that. I've got more money than we know what to do with. But this isn't the case. If these things were the definition of the maxed out, full capacity, abundant life, they would bring eternal joy. That car would bring eternal joy and happiness. That house, that vacation, the money would bring eternal joy, happiness. But here's the deal. The reality of this is this. All those things don't last forever. So they can't bring eternal joy or happiness. And they don't for a couple different reasons. Number one, again, I kind of said this already, but they don't last forever. But secondly, and people that have those things, they are just as miserable and depressed and stressed as people without them. So we know that that's not the abundant life. So what is it? Well, a quick definition for you guys. I just, through studying, just wrote down. This is the AJ version, okay? The abundant life is eternal. That begins at the moment that we come to Jesus as our Savior, and it goes through all eternity. It is a daily growing relationship with God that matures over time, and it is fully satisfied in God and his plan for our life. That's the abundant Christian life. See, nothing else can satisfy like the abundant Christian life in Jesus. There's no power, there's no prestige, position, none of that stuff. See, our definition of the abundant Christian life, it's usually different from God's true definition. Now, I'm gonna share with you guys a story about a guy uh, that when I think of the abundant Christian life, this is the guy I think of. I think of my friend, he's pastors out in, he pastored out in Liberal, Kansas for over 30, 35 years. 
um, Bill Prater. Um, awesome job, right? Great dude. Uh, it was about five years ago that he lost his son. He was 35 years old, and it was a horrible accident. Um, through his pain, Pastor Prater, he has decided to trust God and allow him to use it for his glory. Now, I, I know it's like I'm throwing that out there like a blanket statement, okay? There's obviously a lot of, of pain and hurt that he's gone through, but he just decided from day one, I talked to the guy, he, he's an older guy that's just like, again, he, he, he's fully trusting God, and he understands that, man, there's gonna be painful days, but I'm gonna choose to trust God through this. And so he's done that. And through this tragedy that's happened in his life, because he's had this outlook and he's allowed God to use it for his glory, he has seen countless really Christians been encouraged that have maybe been through a divorce, that have lost a child, that have maybe lost a spouse, or something tragic in their life has happened. He's actually spoke to conferences um, on losing, uh, you know, someone in your life you're close to all over the country. Um, he's authored a book on, on how to make it through grief and on, you know, pain like this. See, through allowing God to get the glory, not only have Christians been encouraged, but some that were non-Christians, they've met him and they've heard his story and they have come to faith in Jesus to save them. Now, here's the deal. I don't know about you, but to me, that sounds like an abundant life. And that sounds like a life that is fully satisfied. God, I don't necessarily love the fact that you took my son. In fact, it bothers me, but he's told me this. It's in your hands, God. You knew it was gonna happen, so what are you gonna do with it? I'm gonna trust you. So God's used him to do all these different things. In fact, just confirmed last night, but to, after, after talking with him, but this very day, right now, he's speaking at a conference on how to make it through grief and pain in your life at this very moment. Super cool to think about. So maybe you're going through something that's painful right now. Maybe this severe, I don't know, this is tragic, obviously, but maybe not. Regardless, it's brought you pain. Man, let God get the glory in that and trust him. Man, who knows how it could encourage other believers and may even be something God uses to reach people for Jesus. So question, maybe something to think about in your devotion this week. Do you have an abundant life? Do you have an abundant Christian life? It's not stuff. It's not, it's not stuff and material possessions, no. Man, it's in that relationship. And he goes on in verses 11 to 13, says this, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd, he lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. See, shepherds, they were tough, manly men. They were hard workers. I know our Western culture, for some reason, has this idea that, like, a shepherd didn't get his hands dirty. Man, forget that. Dude, these guys were tough. In fact, they were so tough, they went to the extent, a good, not to say shepherd, but a good shepherd would go to the extent of laying down his life for a sheep. If he's laying in that opening and a wolf would try to come in at night, he would lay down and he would attempt to at least take the life of the wolf or whatever's making the threat over his sheep. What? I mean, what a better thing could be said about our good shepherd being Jesus. He willfully shows he's our, our shelter. He willfully went to the cross and he laid down his life for us. 
He lays down in between the gap of our, our, our sin, right? The eternal consequences that we may face from that. The persecution and he, he lays in place so we don't face that. We don't have to go to hell for all eternity, right? All because, man, we have a shepherd that's good. He offers forgiveness. So the shepherd alone, he determines who may enter that fold. He guards the sheep. He provides for them and he cares for them. So he shows that, again, this good shepherd, he is one that offers shelter. But then lastly, and we'll be really quick here, the good shepherd, he shows he's good because he offers salvation. Now, just want to throw this out there. This crowd he's talking to at this time, they are all Jewish. They're 100% Jewish people, okay? And um, so what he's about to say, they're, it's really going to rock their world, spiritually speaking. In fact, the religious leaders that are there, the Pharisees, are going to get insanely ticked off about this. But, um, yeah, we'll check out what it says here, verse 14 19. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father, he knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep, this is important, that are not from the sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. Uh, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Last verse, again, the Jews were divided because of these words. So Jesus tells them in verse number 16, he says this. He says that there are other sheep, not from that pole, not from that, that pen, or not from that fold that, again, is referencing Judaism, okay? He's saying there's some that aren't 100% Jewish people. They're going to listen to me. And they're going to follow me. And they are going to be part of this flock. And they're going to be part of us. See, this statement, it would have absolutely shook them to the core. See, they were, again, 100% ethnic Jewish people. And they, the thought of adding a non-Jewish person into a relationship with God just like appalled them, right? To the point that, like that was, no, there, there's no possible way. See, they believed they were going to heaven, number one, because they were Jewish, 100% Jewish. And they also believe they're going to heaven because they followed this law, the Old Testament law, Judaism. See, they believed that there was no way that a Gentile, which is anyone that is not 100% Jewish, which is probably all of us, they believed there was no way a Gentile could go to heaven and there was no way that they could worship with them. See, but here's the deal. This should have been no surprise to them. In the Old Testament, man, God said if a nation followed him, and they knew this too, but if a nation followed him, man, they could have a relationship with God. They could. The problem is this, is they didn't know the limitless of God's saving grace, of this Messiah's saving grace. He came for all. So he's telling them that, hey, man, get ready. There's going to be Gentiles. They're going to come in and they're going to worship with you. They're going to praise God with you. They're going to be in unity with you. Get ready. Jesus shows he is a good shepherd because, yes, he lays down his life for us. But it's also interesting. He talks about taking it back up again, which is another reason that shows that he is the good shepherd. I mean, think about it. If Jesus told us this, which, you know, he did. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. How can he keep that promise if he's dead? All right, so he says, I'm, I'm going to lay down my life for you. I'm going to the cross and lay down my life for you, but I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm raising up again. 
only way that he can fulfill that promise of never leaving us or forsaking us, taking care of his sheep, is if he lives forever. Another thing the Bible says in Hebrews 7, he says that he is daily, moment by moment, he's interceding, he's advocating before the Father for us on our behalf. Man, I don't know about you guys, that sounds like a good shepherd to me. He's a good shepherd. Good shepherd, he didn't just come for one group, one race, one class of people. He shows that he came for all. His grace is not limited. So if you're not a believer, here's the deal. Just want to throw this out there. He came for you. In fact, he didn't just come to this earth for you, but he died for you and he rose up again. So will you trust him today? Jesus says, or he tells us, it shows us this, that we were worth dying for. He is the good shepherd, because the good shepherd is willing to sacrifice himself for the good of the sheep. So three things we looked at today. How do we know that he is the good shepherd? Because he offers security, shelter, and salvation. Church, let's pray, and then we're gonna close out in a song. God, we thank you God, for the day you give to us. Thanks for letting us have this time that we can just stop, we can focus in, God, that we can hear from you. And God, we know, we believe God, that you are the good shepherd. God, thanks for illustrations like this in the story that we can just break down and we can see, God, who you really are to us. God, you are our leader. God, you're our savior, you're our Messiah. God, you came to give us life as opposed to what the enemy wants for us. He wants to come in, God. He wants to ruin our life. He wants to come in. God, he wants to take life from us. God, he wants pain, he wants hurt. But God, you came to give us life and give it to the max. God, help us to be satisfied in you. God, whatever your plan is for life, help us to trust that. And I pray if anyone's not here, God, or anyone is here that is not a believer, that God, today would be the day that they see their sin and they trust in you, the good shepherd, to lead and to guide their life. In Jesus' name.